Welcome, Wildcats, to another episode of the Weber State Weekly Football Game Day Show. We're a member of the Big Sky Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Colby Peterson. On the show today, we have the Signpost's own Emily Miller back to chat with us about some football. Emily, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on as well. Uh, also back uh, after a, a really good synopsis of what happened on Monday night, uh, Dustin Chappie Chapman here to talk a little bit about today's game. So, Chappie, how are you, man? Now we got the game of the week in the big sky. I'm stoked. It's a big one, man, for sure. And so interesting matchup to see. I'm sure other people will be watching. And then also joining us for the first time in season three, we've got former Weber State football coach Tom Stackrock joining us tonight or uh, today. Tom, how are you doing, man? Outstanding, man. Always good. When the cats win, man, it just makes for a great week. <laughs> uh, it's been a good week, man. And so let's talk a little bit about the show coming up for, for you all today. Uh, we'll take a quick recap. We'll give Emily and Tom an opportunity to kind of give their takes on the match, the game against Utah Tech last weekend in Ogden. And then we'll preview today's game against Davis. Uh, the, this game will be at Davis. So you have to watch it on ESPN plus if you're not making the trip out to California. And then we'll take a quick fly around the sky and get our, uh, we'll just do a little pick them with our panel to kind of see what they think, what they, uh, how they're feeling. Uh, but before we get into all that, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you're not listening to un- in those places already, uh, please tell your friends about Weber State Weekly. If you have other Wildcat friends and family who uh, care a lot about what the Wildcats are doing, please tell them about Weber State Weekly so we can grow the following and um, hopefully uh, provide them with uh, some good good analysis that we hope. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then there's a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Weber State Weekly and... Uh, become a supporter we want to thank our patrons so much out to all the good people who donated to our gofundme we got the money for the turnover belt in less than 24 hours so that money is slowly trickling in now from gofundme and we're going to get it over to salt city swagger who we're working with to create that belt so thanks to everybody who donated really appreciate you hope to see that belt on the sidelines soon so, guys, let's talk a little bit. Um, let's give Emily and Tom an opportunity to talk about the Utah Tech game. Tom, I want to start with you, man. Uh, usually just do three quick questions here. What you like, what you didn't like, and who you thought the MVP was. Let's start with the first one, man. What did you like about that Utah Tech game with the Wildcats? Well, I liked a couple of things, and I think a couple – things that are kind of maybe outside of the game. I thought it was really cool that we had two head coaches out there that had uh, gone through the high school football uh, system. Um, you know, of course, Jay went through Ricks and then on to Utah. And then uh, Utah Tech's head coach was a Bingham High guy and and then went on to Snow and then went on to Boston College. So I thought that was really cool. Biggest thing I thought is, as I watch, and it's kind of interesting to see, see the team in person, but the thing I like the most is is the energy out there. I mean, I always felt last year that that COVID, that COVID year that we played, and we just weren't as uh, crisp mm. as the other teams. We were worn down a little bit, but yeah. just seeing the energy of the team, seeing the interaction of the coaches and players. You know, when defense was had a timeout, the whole defense was over there. When offense had a timeout, the whole offense was over there. When players came off, they went right to the bench and coaches were coaching them up. Um, so I, I, those are really, I mean, outside the game, some things that I noticed that, uh, that I really, really liked. I mean, fair take, man. Like you said, uh, the spring season, I think, kind of wore guys down a little bit. Normal cycle of, you know, taking time off, getting healed up, all that stuff. You know, they only had three, three and a half months before they were back at it. 
So yeah, I think that the yeah. Wildcats were maybe a little worn down in the fall. So Emily, yeah. I want to give you a chance. It, it, to, go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Yeah, just and just the last thing too is and just kind of a I'm, I know I'm being long here, but I got I got to give hats off to Bronson, um, to McPherson nice because throwing that 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 throwing that deep ball. That's not something you just develop in practice and going through practice. You guys put in the work during the summertime to have that kind of chemistry to complete that ball. Um, so, you know, the, the, I can tell those guys have put it in the work. And the other guy looks a little better to me is the uh, Noah. You know, he looks uh, a lot better uh, to me as far as it looks like he's dropped some weight and it looks like he's moving a lot better. So that was another thing that I, I noticed. Emily, uh, what about you? Uh, things that you liked from the Saturday night matchup against Utah Tech? Um, I think what I'm taking away from that game that I liked most is probably how I feel like the offense is slowly getting better and better. I mean, yeah, Baron was, game. yeah, I mean, Baron was offensive player of the week. Two of the, the two first touchdowns of the game or of the quarter, even the first quarter came in like the first five minutes. And I just like that fast-paced offense they have going and it looks like everyone's kind of starting to fall into place with it yeah it was a uh, sort of bam bam right like the wildcats came right out Real quick. Down the field, seven points yeah. got the ball back seven more points and you know like tom talked about good connection with t-mac you know jacob sharp as well some really good opportunities for him this year and so yeah just quick quick uh strikes down the field and uh quick 14 points but let's yeah let's- Go ahead. Sorry. Let's flip the script and talk about maybe what didn't go so well. Emily, tell us kind of, you know, what you didn't like so much on about Saturday night. Um, I don't know. There's a couple things. I think it's still early in the season, so things aren't fully where they could be. Um, I felt like Utah Tech was the score was a little bit close for longer than I would have liked, considering the difference of um just, you know, stats, but I would just say just cleaning things up. I It's something you expect, but it's still not something I like. Yeah, it's a phrase that Jay Hill used a lot in um, post-game and other interviews after the game, cleaning up. So, Tom, what about you, man? What did you feel that maybe didn't go so well for the Wildcats that you kind of didn't like? You know, they, that, that D-line got such great pressure on the quarterback to the point where they were getting knocked back, but they were getting knocked back past the quarterback. So they didn't cage that quarterback in as, as much as I would like. So that was one thing I noticed. And the other thing is, is, you know, they had success when that quarterback broke, broke that pocket and the, and the 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 play broke down and, and receivers are starting to run and that's where they had a couple big plays and that's a hard thing for a DB right I mean yeah. to stay in coverage that long so I think there was like two big throws that they got off of that situation where he was actually didn't move left the quarterback didn't move left to right but he just stepped up because the pressure was so came came so fast that he was able to step up and kind of um, look at the field so it's kind of like we almost got too much pressure if that's, if you can understand that. No, totally. It makes sense. Right. Cause like, like you said, you're getting pushed, which is a nice thing, but it's a little too much push, not converging on the, on the quarterback. He's able to then step forward, step into it and just throw the ball down the field because now encumbered, there's nothing in front of him and the backers are left to choose. Is he going to run or 
stay back in coverage and try and do your best to keep yeah. the ball from landing where it needs to, where, where he's trying to put it anyway. Right. So, so Tom, tell me who's your MVP in that one on Saturday night. I like, uh, I like, uh, coach mantle. I, 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 Mantle. I, I really like what he's doing. I think, I think he's playing this chess game because if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, you know, uh, they got a vertical game. Weber state's got a vertical game this year. So what am I going to do with my safety to get some help over there? Um, I've saw, I've saw enough short passing concepts. That's okay. Now that I've taken care of that deep route, now I've opened some things underneath and he's kind of, he's kind of uh, showed all the defenses across the big sky. Hey, we got some underneath stuff too. And we can run the ball. We can get into two tights and we can, and we can run the ball. So he's kind of, to me, he's kind of throwing a lot of things out there as a defensive coordinator, like, okay, where am I going to take away from the Wildcats? Because they're definitely not a one dimensional team right now. No, I mean, great, they can, right? yeah, they can run it. You know, we got the short passing game. We got the vertical game and that vertical game. I mean, you know, Utah tech tried to run a vertical game. And how many incompletions did they throw to their number one? I mean, I was like, they might go for five, right? And and he comes out, coach comes out firing, man. I mean, so that kind of sets the tone for defenses right off the bat. So that'll be interesting. But I like what he's been doing over the last three games and trying. I'm thinking what I'm thinking is he's trying to set some things up. Yeah, coach mental with the MVP for sure. I mean, we've seen the the. Offense get better and better each week. And so talked about that when, when the season started, that the, the schedule was set up just so that um, it would allow for Coach Mental to do that. And there's going to be obviously a tough test against Davis this weekend but or tonight. But still, you know, it's going to be just another opportunity to get better as we get closer and closer to those critical three weeks in October. Emily, what about you? Who do you have as the MVP for the Utah Tech game? Um, you know, honestly, I got to split it between two. Obviously, I'm going to go with Bronson Barron. I'm really liking what he's what he's doing right now. And I really can see it only going up. Um, but I also have to give a shout out to Maxwell Anderson. I think it was oh, yeah. his fourth interception of the season in yes, three games. Yep, it was. And you know what? Those are that's a big momentum changer right there that he can do for his team. And I just want to see that happen every game. So he gets a little share of the MVP for me. Yeah, I think Wildcats have 10 takeaways now. Yep. Uh, all right. So, I mean, that's Utah Tech. Uh, that was last weekend. Right on. Super cool. Obviously, the Wildcats get the dub. 3-0 for the first time since 1998. Uh, good to hear that. Uh, but now we're moving on. Let's talk about today's game. Let's talk about UC Davis because uh, Davis is a little bit different animal than I think the, the Wildcats have faced thus far. You know, they played a D2 team in Western Oregon. They play a an ailing, you know, an FBS team that's, you know, struggling to find its identity and kind of get back to its former glory in Utah State. And then uh, a, Dixie, uh, a Utah Tech team that is on the up, they're on the rise, but still not quite there, challenging themselves by playing tough schedules, but still not quite on the level that they, uh, I think, hope to be on. So still a couple of years away. But now you face the UC Davis Aggies, who were a playoff team last year. They're well coached. Um, Chappie, I wanted to start this one uh, with you. My first question about this was, let's start with the quarterback, man. I think one of the biggest losses for the Aggies last season is Junior quarterback Hunter Rodriguez left. He had a professional contract with a football team in Sweden, which I didn't know was a thing until I read the article about that. 
And so now he's replaced by redshirt sophomore Miles Hastings, who actually leads the conference right now with 785 yards uh, and seven touchdowns in three games. I mean, Chappie, tell me, like, what what do you think will be the key to making Hastings uncomfortable? Because I think that he's still young. Uh, there are opportunities for him if pressure comes that he will make mistakes. I watched the South Dakota State game, and when pressure came, he had a couple of errant throws that cost him. They just so happened to be the same linebacker twice in a row. <laughs> but like, you know that that happens. So, what's the secret to getting Miles Hastings to be uncomfortable? Yeah, the secret there is going to be just our strong secondary, right? Uh, those, as they've talked about to us, as, as Anderson mentioned to us, they, they, they want them to have to throw the ball. You know, our, we saw it last week. I mean, Utah Tech, they passed for some yards, you know, but it was yeah. half of what, they, what, their, what their season average is and half of what they're capable of. Uh, so to me, it, it, you know, it, it, our, our secondary is going to out experience miles Hastings and you know, they're going to do some things on defense that will throw him off. Jay Hill um, does really well confusing quarterbacks, you know, making them, making them have to think a little too much. Um, but, but all in all, frankly, I see two very similar teams in Weber state and UC Davis. I mean, they, they both have really good running backs. They both have young, but strong quarterbacks. Uh, both have very, very good coaching staff and good defenses. So like, I, I see, I see a very comparable game here tonight. Mm-hmm. Emily. I mean, so obviously like we've talked about, the secondary is really, really a key piece to what the Wildcats doing this season. Um, it, it's really come clutch. Like you said, Max Weinerson's got four picks. Eddie Heck Williams has a pick. Um, I think Camden Garrett might have a pick. I, I don't know. He played really well in the last game, but like there've been a lot of turnovers uh, uh, in terms of the secondary. But I mean, do you feel like maybe it's, it's more on the defensive line to get after Hastings to make him uncomfortable or that the secondary is good enough to cover long enough to, to make problems for him. And he has to make a decision and that decision is to throw the ball away. I almost feel like a bit of both, you know, honestly, I think what we're strong, like, fortunately we are, we have a decent, you know, defense and like Chappie said, Jay Hill is going to read, I feel like he'll read UC Davis just fine. And I think we can make Hastings pretty uncomfortable and, you know, I hope we can also figure out, um, I'm going to say his name wrong. Ulan Lonzo. Yeah. Lonzo Gilliam. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to be able to read them and figure it out, but I don't, I think they might give us a run for our money at the same time. We'll have to see. So, so Tom, you talked a little bit in your comments earlier about, you know, a little too much push against Utah tech. Uh, That may not necessarily be a problem because I think that probably the guys that are playing for Davis a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit stronger than what tech has, because they're still kind of ramping up to get to that D one level. I mean, do you see the middle of the field being a little bit open because guys are willing to drop back in coverage and the backers are trying to help with pass rush? Do you see that middle of the field as being an issue with you know Hastings having some potential to run? Or do you think that, by and large, the, the front seven are going to be able to contain him? He, he looked like, as I watched him in the Cal game, he looked like a guy that was a lateral quarterback that's going to move left to right and is not going to take it and run it. 
So, you know, uh, we might have some situations like we had on last Saturday where he's combined some time because he's, he's, he's still and run it. He's just not going to take off and run it. So, yeah, I mean, you get, you get a guy, you know, breaking that pocket and just sitting out in space, you know, puts a lot of pressure on the, on the defense. Um, you know, my, my thing is, is that running back that they have, he's a special guy. And I don't think yeah. he's going to need a ton of help from the old line. I mean, he's going to need some help, but he's a guy that is pretty gifted, boy. I mean, he he hurdled a Pac-12 kid defender like nothing when I watched the game. And that's pretty special. And he's a big, big, strong kid in a lower body. So I think that's the guy that that's, you know, we need to keep an eye on and make sure we keep him under control because what happens is all of a sudden you go first and 10 and now it's second and three, second and four. Now you're putting a little pressure on the defense. Is it play action? Is it going to be a three-step? Are they going to take a shot? Are they just going to run it again? So I think, I think, you know, taking care of the running back is going to be the key to this game. Uh, against San Diego last week, Alonzo Gilliam became the all-time leading rusher at UC Davis. So that happened like yeah. first series, of, first series of the game. And he, we've watched him, you know, for years playing against Weaver now, and he's he's amazing. He's in my book the best running back in the league. Nah, I don't yeah. know. Isaiah Fonse exists. <laughs> Uh, he, but Afonso uh, existed because he had a good cast around him. Gilliam doesn't have nearly as good a cast around him. Afonso is just so hey. strong, man. You're you're watching him play against the Pac-12 team, and I'm looking at him going, he doesn't look much different than those Pac-12 kids to me. You know, watching them run and being physical and stuff like like he could he could have been on the Cal roster. He's a pretty talented kid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not nothing to take away from Alonzo Gilliam preseason uh, offensive MVP for a reason, right? Um, Tom, also, right. I wanted to go back to something that we we were just talking about before about Miles Hastings running. Checking the numbers, man. He's only he's only rushed for twelve yards this this season. Right. Three games on eight attempts. So I think you're right. Like he's not a guy that runs a lot. That's not a thing that he really does. And I actually think that benefits Weber a lot because oh, wow. like, like Tom was mentioning, like that when we struggle, you know, against Utah Tech, we tech we we struggled with their quarterback being what the, the top three rushers <laughs> of each <laughs> of the game. Um we're all quarterbacks. They when we when we break when they break contain, we we do kind of struggle there against mobile type quarterbacks. So him not being an extremely mobile guy, a guy that wants to stay in the pocket and make the throw on the plays. That's good for us. But I also think it's good because I, you know, our line's going to get to him because our, our, our deep, our secondary is good. They're, they're good. And he's, they're not going to, the guys aren't going to be as open as he, as they were, especially against, you know, San Diego, which is the game I watched. Yeah. Um, It's the, it's the breaking of the, breaking the pocket to run, which I don't think he's going to be a problem. But is it the breaking the pro, the pocket to buy more time to throw the ball? Because you have to be so disciplined in the secondary because your your eyes are on the quarterback. You're trying to find the defender. You know, that, that that's the one that scares me. I don't care. If he takes off and run, more power to him because he isn't going to be a problem. He's going to get wrapped up pretty quick. But it's that lateral break that could be a problem. Mm. Um, going back to talking a little bit about Gilliam, um, Emily, one of the things that that really kind of stood out to me when I was watching the Davis game against South Dakota state was Gilliam's 
hands, I think, are underrated. As a as a receiver, pretty good. Um, you know, for a running back coming out of the backfield and trying to make something happen on a broken play, or even if it's design play, you know, that's just like a quick out, or they like to throw him a lot of these screen passes and then just see what he can do on the edge. Um, do you think that his hands become a factor, or is it really more about containing him at the line of scrimmage? I I feel like with his success, we want to contain him more. I may have misunderstood your question, but I feel like we want to focus more on containing him at the line of scrimmage than uh, being worried about his hands. Like, I think he, I mean, looking at his stats, like his, his high is like 115 in rushing yards. And I just know he's going to, if he's going to be, he's going to be found in the end zone easily already on Saturday. And I think that needs to be our main focus rather than his hands. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, just sort of looking at him. I mean, thus far this season, he's he only has one touchdown though, so I could be wrong. And that was yeah. against San Diego. Yeah, he's averaging fifty-four reception yards a game. Uh, he's got yeah. one hundred and sixty-two thus far on eighteen targets. Um, so yeah, I hear what you're saying though. It is more important to contain him at the line of scrimmage. And I think that, you know, the Wildcats will do a good job of that. They understand that that's a key piece because if they can contain Gilliam, then they will force Hastings to throw, which is what they want to do, uh, because then they can start to get some takeaways because he is a young quarterback guys. I think that with pressure, he will make mistakes. Yeah, I can easily see those mistakes. So guys, I want to talk now a little bit and maybe Tom, I'll start with you, man. Um, Watching the the Davis South Dakota State game, the thing that stuck out most to me was that the Jackrabbits had a lot of success against Davis on the edges. They, you know, they had middling success. They still had some success running through the tackles, but when they were running stuff on the edge, oh man, they were getting chunk yardage. They were getting seven, eight, nine yards. You know what I mean? It was just nuts. And to me, that screams Josh Davis. I kind of wanted to get your take, Tom, and see what you thought about rushing on the edges and you know looking at the backfield that the wildcats have available to them in josh davis damon bankston who had a really ga- a good game last weekend uh plus you know some others like dante dante mcmillan and we'll see if chris jackson is back it looked like he might have got injured uh, in the last game how do you see the running game playing out against davis and where do you think or do you think that the wildcats will have success well, it's going to come, you know, when you talk about running that ball to the outside, it's going to come, it's going to come down to the receivers too, right? That's yeah, going to be they, the biggest bars. Are they going to be able to, yeah, they got to put their face on people. They got to, you know, they, they, they've got to sustain, you know, and as I look at that, as I look at that, the Weber state offensive line, you know, if I, if I had to say where the strength of the offense on the tackles, right. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a good group. And I think our tight ends are, are pretty good. You know, because um, they showed they came in and, and they knocked some people around. So, um, you know, we're going to have to see how the, the receivers stand up to that and if the tackles can knock off the edge. But the other part of that is, you know, what is what is coach going to do uh, um, to out scheme Davis? You know, so so say it's a tackle on defensive end and they're lined up is there an advantage to motion a tight end over? So the tight end as he motions over, he's going to have a little, he's going to have a little edge uh, leverage on that defensive end. So now he can push through that defensive end and get that edge real quick. 
you know, or is it better to block down and pull somebody, you know, it'll be interesting to how he's going to, how he's going to uh, attack that, you know? Um, so the other thing that comes off of that too, if he's going to, if, if, if we are going to run the ball outside, there's a concept called scat, a scat concept where basically what you do is you run the, the running back to the right and you take that receiver and you run him into the inside. Like he's almost going to block. And then he just, he just crosses over top of that linebacker and he finds a hole there. Mm, so is that going to play? Yeah. So is that going to play a factor as, you know, okay, we're running the ball on the edge. We're running on the ball on the edge. Now what's going to, what are we going to have that come off as far as the passing game goes with that? But, you know, I do like our tight ends and I do, I do like, I do like our two tackles. I thought, you know, uh, of course the Atagi kids, he's been a staple here at Weaver state. He, he, like I said, he looked, uh, uh, looked really well. And then the other tackle, um, looked pretty good too. So it'll be interesting. So against, uh, San Diego, that that's exactly where San Diego, the only place they had success was, was running on the edges was, was getting out in the open, in open field. Uh, Davis's line is good. Their front four is strong. Mm-hmm. So, so running, running, running in between the, you know, the tackles directly and just trying to pound it up the middle. I don't know that that's going to be the game plan. Um, of course we've seen Demond Bankston when he hits a hole and finds a hole, he just accelerates right through it. So who knows, but uh, I'm with Tom. I, they're going to be, I, I could see him running too wide, too double tight and maybe motioning one over, um, you know, whether it be Meacham or Malone and, and getting an extra blocker on the edge there to get him outside. Um, and, and maybe Tom can explain this better than I can with his, with the coaching knowledge, but uh, maybe exactly what you're describing, Tom, where they're, they're doing almost like a cutback run to create space and they're, you know, it's like the play is going one way and then the, the running back gets the ball, takes a couple steps and then cuts back against the line and yeah. it, it, it almost always I've seen him do it uh, quite a few times this year and it seems to create space by doing that because the whole motion of the play is going the other way yeah so you have basically what they call that is you have your outside zone which coach uh you know runs to the outside and then you pair that with inside zone so now it's the same track as outside zone but now the running back puts his foot in, his, in the ground and then cuts it right up in behind the tackle um right there but i tell you what when i watched that cow game i thought i thought i thought davis's two defensive ends were pretty impressive as far as pass rushers you know they got the one kid number uh what is it 53 uh easton i think his name is who was a colorado state kid and then he's come back home i thought he was a you know he's like an outside linebacker type kid pass rusher and then he had another defensive end Man, they seem like they can rush the quarterback off the edge. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see how our tackles match up with that. Um, speaking of you know the 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 defense playing well potentially against the Wildcats because there were we've seen I think some pressure on Barron. Although I will say that they gave up the the offensive line gave up no sacks last week against Utah right. Tech, which Jay Hill called out in the in the post-game um, press uh, conference. But another thing that he called out specifically a couple of times, not just on the post-game presser, but then later in another interview with SID Paul Grua, was that the red zone offense has to score touchdowns. We talked a little bit about, about that on the show, but then when I looked at the conference numbers, Wildcats actually have the best red zone offense in the conference. But let's take a second here and, and listen to what uh, Coach Jay Hill had to say 
about uh, the red zone offense? The offense has got to get more touchdowns in the red zone. Now, I'll give them this. Eight times in the red zone is huge. That means you're gaining yards, you're being productive in the run game and the throw game. We've got to find a way to punch in a few of those touchdowns when we get in the red zone. Yeah. And so, so like, like Coach Hill said, I mean, we all felt that right with the Utah Tech game feeling like there were big opportunities. I mean, the one that comes to my mind is, is the one yard, you know, going for it on fourth down, we send the battering Ram and it just, it doesn't happen. And the Wildcats get stood up on the one yard line. Don't score the touchdown, turn the ball over on downs. That being said though, like we said, we look at, we look at the way that uh, the, the team is playing and the Wildcats have the best red zone offense in, in the, in the conference. So how do we square, like, how do we square that? You know, where it's like, they're doing good, but we, we know that they're leaving points on the line. Well, the, the frustrating thing about a lot of the, the red zone issues, I don't know if we call it an issue because they are scoring. They're just, they're just settling for three instead of seven a lot of the time. But yeah, most of the time it happens. It seems like it happens off of a good, off of a, them getting good field position. And that's what the frustrating part is, right? Like if, if, if it's a, if it's a 10 play drive and they get down to the nine and don't punch it and get a field goal, that, that's one thing that starts on, you know, maybe their own 10 or 20, but when they're starting from the 25 and then, or the 15 or anything, and then stalling out like that, to me, that's where it gets frustrating. And it is demoralizing because it's, it's like, yeah, you, you gotta, yeah, punch those opportunities in. Yeah. Um, honestly, what I'm thinking is they might be at the top of the conference, but it's also, nobody's played more than three games right now. And I think there's always room for improvement. And um, I mean, they can, they can definitely do better. And I feel like Chappie said a lot of those points are coming from Kyle Thompson. And I mean, we'll take it, but there's definitely room for improvement. Yeah. Because um, in 21 visits to the red zone in three games thus far, the Wildcats have 11 touchdowns. So of those 18, 11 are touchdowns, seven are field goals. Um, so that's the breakdown. I think, and you know, the other thing I think about that too is I think we it can all agree when we talk about the Weber State D defensive line, we're all giving out the stamp of approval. Like, like they are dudes, right? They're we dudes. can all agree on that, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the disheartening thing about that red zone thing is, I guess it's the scoring part, but for me is if you want as an offensive line, if you want to have the same stamp of approval that we give that D line, then when everybody knows in the stadium that you are running the ball and you're able to, and you are able to run the ball when everybody knows the defense knows, and you are able to line a scrimmage, then as an offensive line, that's when you get the stamp of approval. And so that's probably the one thing we need to see is like, Hey, we know we're running the ball. You know, we're running the ball. Doesn't matter. We're knocking you off the ball and we're going to take our two yards and get a first down and move the change. So that's, that's the one thing about that. This whole conversation to me is you can talk about red zone, but ultimately it's a chance to knock somebody off the line of scrimmage. Everybody knows it and it's your will against them. And, 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 and we didn't see it, right. I'm not being negative, but that's the facts, right? Yeah, just getting pushed, right? Like yeah. everybody knows what's going to happen here. You're lined up for that thing to happen. Power football, the thing happens, and you're still successful, right? That's yeah. 
that's like very North Dakota state, right? Yeah. Like that. Now, you know, you're, you got a bunch of dudes at the offensive line, like, you know, so, well, let's talk about, um, you know, the flip side of that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, well, both sides, I guess, because we'll talk a little bit about the Davis um, defense right now. Davis is 10th out of 12 teams in the conference for holding opposing offenses back on third down. So, um, teams are converting a lot of third downs against the Davis defense, but they're also number one defending fourth down conversions. And so it's kind of weird because it's like third down. Yeah, they get got, but then fourth down when, when it's, when the chips are down, they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to give this up. And, you know, looking at the attempts, it's like, okay, how many attempts are we talking about though, Colby? And so, I mean, fourth down it, it, in four attempts against them, only one has been converted, you know, on the flip side, the wildcats have seen what, how many, how many third down conversions have they seen? They've seen 12 attempts and they've allowed five to convert. Right. And I think at least three of those came against Utah tech because there were a number of those. Um, but at the same time, the wildcats are not just number one in the conference, but like number, what is it? Number two in the country or something like that. They're like one of the best, third down defending teams in the nation right now and played some teams that, you know, they, they shut down an FBS team where like they didn't convert a third down. Utah state did not convert a third down against the wildcats. So like, how do you, how do you square this? Right. Where it's like Davis, not so good at defending the third, third down conversion, pretty good at defending fourth down the wildcats, a little bit of the opposite, really good at defending third down, had some problems getting, getting, uh, turnover on downs with fourth down. Chappy, go ahead. Well, yeah, I think it's situational too. Like what, what were those fourth downs, you know, like, sure. you know, how, you know, what well, we were running the ball and, and those type of things, you know, how many of those were against and um, you know what teams those were against and, you know, those situations yeah. kind of make it, kind of hard to filter through. So. Yeah. I, I would say that it bodes well for Weaver just get, not getting into the third down or not getting into the fourth down situation. I mean, we haven't gone for it much on fourth down this year. You know, there, there are times, you know, in fact, even against Utah tech, there were a couple of times where we were settling for three. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the fans in the stadium wanted us to, <laughs> wanted us to try on fourth down to, to score and get the first down. So, uh, the key there is hopefully just not getting into fourth downs, right? Uh, is converting on third down and letting that tendency hold true and converting those 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 plays to not have to get in fourth down. Yeah, because you know the Wildcats are third in the conference at converting third down on offense, uh, but they are they've only they've only tried four times to convert on fourth down, but they've only been successful once. So, and I think oh, I was just about to I was just about to say, I mean it's ideal just to uh, avoid getting to that point and just you know trying to really just avoid getting to that point but you know playing smart if we do and it just really depends it's pretty situational but like I mean I was there on Saturday too and I could have seen the crap the fans wanting a little bit more from the fourth down but just situational yeah here's what Jay Hill had to say about it Third down conversions continue to be a positive for the defense. They were 4 of 20 on third down. That's big. 
Yeah, I mean, pretty short and sweet, right? Talking about the defense and their ability to keep teams off of third down. We talked about that. That seems to be a strength this season. But Tom, you were about to say something. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll move on to the next point then. Um, because I want to talk a little bit about Davis's discipline because I think this is a really, really key piece. And because the Wildcats are on the road this this uh for this game. I, I, I think this is this is home opener actually. So this is the first time Davis fans will get the chance to to see their team. And no, they were home last week. Oh, they were home last week. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's going to be a, a game though because Davis fans have been showing up, um, and Davis is one of the most disciplined teams in in the conference. They're third right now when it comes to penalties. Like they just don't make a lot of mistakes. The Wildcats are dead last when it comes to that right now. Like there've been a lot of penalties and, you know, we've talked about it on the show about how some of those have been a lot of, you know, penalties like unsportsmanlike conduct. There were uh, unforced errors that didn't necessarily need to happen, but um, this is going to be a game on the road in a probably pretty loud, a pretty loud stadium because there's probably going to be north of 15,000 people there. Um, that's a recipe for mistakes, I think, for teams. Um, how do you guys see it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's we have talked about the, the penalty. It's funny because usually less penalties are definitely a, a a sign of good coaching, which I think it is with Davis. But, but it's funny. I don't. You know, I don't think it displays that for Weber State. I, I wouldn't say we're, we're we're poorly coached, and that's why we're we're undisciplined and committing a lot of penalties. I I, I put a lot of our penalties to over aggressiveness, right? Like the, a lot of the unsportsmanlike conducts and late hits and things like that are, are happening on defense. And it's just us being, being over aggressive on the play. Right. Um, I do think, I, I will say this though, it, it may be a hostile environment, but we've heard a couple of players on, on our show talk about how much they are keying off of, you know, revenge from last year for games for season that they feel like didn't go away. It, it, it should have. And I, if, if there's, there, there's probably two games that really, well, there's three, there's multiple games. I'm thinking like three off the top of my head, <laughs> Davis, Montana state, Portland state, but um, you know, we lost this game last year and we lost it in a pretty crappy fashion with some questionable calls at the end of the game by officials. And just, it, it was not good. And so it may be a hostile environment. I'm sure it will be, but I think our our our, our players are going to be really motivated just by by the results of this game last year. A lot of them remember. Yeah, one thing I was going to say is from my own experience interviewing athletes, honestly across all sports, is as much as they love playing in Ogden, they love playing on the road. A lot of players feed off of that banter and trash talk and. Honestly, the more the merrier. If if there's going to be 15,000 fans, I think that can honestly motivate Weber State. And yeah, I don't know if it's, I guess, I don't know if uh, the amount of penalties we're getting is from poor coaching. I definitely wouldn't say so. I don't think any of us would, but there's definitely some unfortunate calls, but also ones we have to own up to. But I don't think this being a road game um, will be as detrimental as as it might as people might think it is yeah i think that um the i think i was listening to one of the cattails podcasts this is the podcast that the athletics department puts out and they were interviewing jay hill 
think, you know, sometime in the summer. And he noted that, um, so of course, Coach Hill now, all, you know, winning his head coach in Weber State history. He talked about how he likes to play on the road, that like they like to go out there. They like the challenge of going into the hostile environment and winning, you know, because Jay Hill's done a lot of that. He was one on the road, some big games, an awful lot in his career at Weber State. And we were we were exceptional on the road last year too. Yeah, we were a really great team on the road. I mean, a, a hallmark win uh, against Eastern Incheny, right? Great game. <laughs> yeah, as far as the penalties go, too, is I'm not seeing a lot. Like last year, it seemed like you know offsides, you know illegal procedures and things like that, like pre-snap penalties. I'm not. I didn't. I haven't seen a lot of those. Um, which is, I think that those type of penalties are a direct reflection of coaching because they're pre-snapped. And, and when you're not getting a lot of those, I think that's a positive thing in the coaching. But when you get the personal fouls and stuff, you know, there's an emotional trigger right there. And, and you know, I'm sure, you know, that's not good either. But I can, I remember just in the game on Saturday, one of the linebackers got a personal foul and Jay was not happy. And he wasn't, uh, he didn't have a problem telling that player he wasn't happy. So I know the coaches are coaching the kids on that. Yeah. Jay did have something to say about the, about the discipline thing. And so let's, uh, let's take a listen. You got to play a real clean game to beat them. You got to be tough and you got to match their discipline to be able to have a chance. Um, I like them. They're, they're well coached and they're a disciplined football team. That was that was Jay Hill talking about Davis, about, you know, their discipline, they're well coached. I think we could all agree with that. Dan Hawkins has done a really good job at Davis. He's done a good job basically wherever he's gone at Colorado, Boise state, a number of other places. But, um, final question here, folks is, um, this is the last one I want to ask really quickly. And then we'll go to the fly around the sky segment. Uh, I, I noticed that the, the senior Davis's kicker, senior Isaiah Gomez has really not had good luck this year. He's just one of four in uh field goals and he's he's missed some pretty easy ones um do you think that that could technique that could potentially be a problem for davis you know as, as time goes on because i mean especially in this game like if if the wildcats are getting stops and they and davis is in field goal range and their kicker's just not up to snuff even as a senior and he's missing field goals they're leaving points on the on the field i mean do, do you think that comes into play so, so those are the types of errors that we talked about this a lot on the show on Monday about how my, my kind of negative from the game, from the, the Utah tech game was it felt like we made errors that against a team like Montana or going back to previous seasons, JMU, like the errors that, that can cost us the game, right? There are things in a, in a close game that, that can make you ultimately lose the game. And, and, and this is one of them. If, if your, if your field goal kicker can't convert and you don't have confidence in it, um, you know, he can miss field goals late in games. Uh, you can force the offense to have to go for it on fourth down when they don't want to. And even if you're within, you know, situational setting where three points matters and you have to go for it on fourth because you don't have confidence to kicker, like special teams is one of those things that it, it, it it, it can cost you the game if you don't watch out for it. There, it, it's it's equally as important as the other two in the sense that mistakes there are amplified. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, we lost by three points last year, so it really can make the game make or break the game. And uh, if they're leaving points out on the field, I think the Wildcats are going to, you know, pounce on that and take advantage of it. Another thing I want. I, I think it's um, going to be huge. Go ahead, Tom. I think it's going to be huge this week because I think it's going to be a tight, tight game. And it, it could come down to special teams and a field goal. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a huge deal. Yeah. So right now looking at the conference, just three games for the most part, some teams have only played two, but right now the Wildcats sitting at number three in, you know, make percentage when it comes to field goals. But Kyle Thompson has far and away more field goal attempts than the next closest. I think the next closest would be the kicker at Idaho or the kicker at Northern Arizona. They have six. Kyle Thompson has 10. I mean, and he's seven of 10 right now. I mean, it's a lot more reps, a lot more opportunities to get better. And Davis's guy has only had four shots because I think Chappie may be part of what you said earlier, where it's just like, they just maybe don't have confidence in him. And so they're going to do some things. They're still going to kick him in certain situations and they have, but that's always in the back of the mind of, ah, do we go for it? Do we really trust this? I don't know. Yeah. It's something that could force you into a bad situation. Yeah. Or like Tom said, if it's a tight game, you got to put it on the line of your kicker. You're not feeling super good about that. Um, that can have an effect. Yeah, I mean, honestly, one one thing to note about Thompson is I, I don't know of anybody who gets a bad feeling in their stomach seeing him go out on the field. And I think that says a lot for us in comparison to, you know, people might get nervous when uh, their kicker has to go out. Yeah, so that's a preview of who UC Davis is, folks. Uh, the game will be on ESPN Plus coming up tonight uh you can watch it there or if you know if you made the trip out to uh if you made the trip out to to davis i mean say what's up post us it'd be 8 p.m mountain standard time on espn one one final note on uc davis uh the the you're right dan hawkins is snarky and is always snarky about ogden and playing weaver state he's always very complimentary of jay hill but uh he did mention in his weekly press conference this week that he he canceled the rent on his condo in ogden from from last year so the uh the back and forth, the back and forth continues. Yeah. I, I, the one thing that I'm looking forward to and coach Hawkins is a heck of a coach. You know, I had a chance to go meet with him up in Boise. We went up there and talked to him as a staff. He's a great coach. And I think this game, there's not going to be a game the rest of the year where the two head coaches are going to have as much impact on the game. Sometimes head coaches, you know, they let the offense do their deal, their defense and the special teams, and they just kind of manage. But I know Hawkins has his hands in that offense and he's going to come up with a scheme. He's going to have something that the Wildcats haven't seen before on defense. I seen them, you know, the last game they played, they did some stuff with their formations and guys were running wide open. So I'm interested to see what Hawkins is doing on that side. If we, you know, if we're watching that game and you see guys running wide open, that's, you know, a check for Hawkins. Other flip side of that, I think Jay Hill has a lot of impact on special teams at Weber State. So if you're seeing special teams, you're seeing a conversion on a, on a punt, 
or a fake field goal or something like that, you can put a check in the check mark in uh, in Jay's column and in, in Jay's column there. So I'm kind of excited to see these two coaches how they're going to match up against each other and and what we're talking about uh, next week because they're two excellent coaches, they're competitive coaches. They're it's it's I'm just interested to see what we're talking about next week of how it plays out with these two guys. Yeah, worth noting that uh, Jay Hill is five and one against Dan Hawkins in his career. Uh, let's take a quick fly around the sky, uh, guys. We have one, two, three, four, five games that are not Weber State versus Davis. Uh, so let's go with the first one. Um, this one is potentially being billed as the Toilet Bowl 2, Idaho State at Northern Colorado. I don't know, guys. Who do you got in this one? This is an interesting <laughs> matchup. Nobody. It's, it's, they're going to tie zero, zero, 0 somehow. <laughs> well, you got to choose somebody, so give me some. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go Idaho State just because I, I feel like they perennially should be, like they're right there to be get to get better and they're just not. So we'll we'll take Idaho State. Northern Colorado is just bad. They might be the worst team in Division One football. They are bad. They are pretty bad. Uh, Emily, what about you? Who are you taking? Idaho State or Northern Colorado? It's a hard one. Um, I'll probably go Idaho State just because I pay more attention to them. I told you guys already, Northern Colorado doesn't really exist in my thoughts, so I don't know too much about them. <laughs> Tom, what about you, man? Bengals or Bears in this one? Oh, it is so easy for me, man. I'm going with the Bengals, man, because their head coach, he used to be at Chaparral High School in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he always treated me nice when I went in there, recruited Charlie. He's a good dude. And I don't know anything about his team right now, but just because he always treated the Wildcats good when we came into that high school to recruit, I'm going Bengals. Yeah, I'm with you too. I think I'm going to choose the Bengals because there's not a lot here, but I do think that Northern Colorado is probably the worst of the two. They just have so many problems right now um, that I don't think have been necessarily addressed. The Sermon kid that they have is, has been good for them, but there's just a lot of other issues. So. Let's go to the next one, man. Uh, Idaho at Northern Arizona, taking the trip up to Flagstaff. Guys, Idaho didn't look awesome last week, um, but they have looked awesome against Washington State and Indiana. So Idaho, Idaho didn't Idaho didn't start awesome. They ended awesome. They they yeah. they, they whooped Drake pretty well. Uh, Idaho's going to win this game. Northern Northern Arizona's. They're, they're, I don't know. They're looking better, but Idaho, Idaho seems to be on, on, a, in a good place. A lot of people are liking them. Okay, Emily, what about you? You like Idaho or you like the Jacks? Well, I mean, they're both overall one and two. Um, so someone's trying to break even here, but um, I'll probably go NAU just because I don't like Idaho. Really, I'm the reverse. I like Idaho. I mean, I, I me like saying. NAU. Me saying I, I don't like Idaho doesn't mean I don't like NAU. I just like NA, NAU less. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what about you, man? You taking the Vandals or the Jacks in this one? This game is in Flagstaff, so, uh, you know, elevation could have an impact. That's tough travel, too, man. That That's got to be tough travel. Well, I'm going to take, take NAU <laughs> because... Okay. The guy on their staff, Aaron Price, his dad used to be the head coach of Weber State. 
So that's oh my, my reasoning. I'm going with okay. it. Yeah, that's that's my thinking right there. Okay. And his his dad his dad was his dad actually your coach, Tom. One yeah, one year yeah, one year before he went up to Washington State. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, next up, another. I think this is an interesting game here, folks. Montana State at Eastern Washington. Um, I don't think that the, the Bobcats have been properly tested this season. Um, you know, I don't think the Oregon State game really counts. And uh, the two FCS teams they played were just pretty middling or pretty bad. So this will be the first, I think, real test to see what, what we've got with the Bobcats. Eastern has, you know, they've they've shown that they can play. Uh, of course, Gunnar Talkington has, you know, slung, slung the ball pretty well, as they do in Cheney. Chappie, who you got? Bobcats or Eagles? <laughs> Uh, the Montana state is still, from what I understand, just still suffering the injury bug. A lot. Um, I, I, unless they can come back from that, I'm, I'm taking you. I don't think you great this year, but it's at home. And I, I think Montana state's just still hurting. I think toward the end of the year, Montana state is a tough team if they can come back from the injuries. But right now I don't, I don't see them as being overly tough. Jeffy takes you. Emily, what about you? Um, yeah, I want to keep the losing streak going for Montana State. Um, I love to see it. So I'm definitely going to go Iwu. Okay. Tom, how are you feeling? The Montana State quarterback, you right? Tommy Malott. Um, yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing with them. They have been decimated at running back. And so they've been actually using a wide out at times to run the ball. The funny thing is, They've had success running the ball. And that just so happens to be a thing that Iwu really sucks at. Their rush defense is really, really bad. So it's a weird thing where Montana State is broken. Like if it was Isaiah, we'd eat them for lunch, but it's not. So, but they still have had success running the ball. Iwu is bad at defending running the ball. I don't know, man. Hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Montana state with the idea that when you get backed into the corner, sometimes you just find a way, just kind of like when the wildcats went up to Eastern Washington and they needed a win, they just find a way. So I'm going, I'm going to go with Montana state because it sounds like they're going to be backed in the corner. They got to turn this thing around and this is time to do it. Okay. Uh, we got the bromance game of the week. Barney and his boy, Man, Bobby Houck. I'm so glad you, t- I, I was going to make a joke about something here. The love, <laughs> love fest. This is this the, the love, love bowl. Fest. We got going love on bowl here. in Missoula. It's going down guys. Uh, Vikings taking the trip over to Missoula to face the Grizz, uh, to open big sky play. How you feel about this one, Chappie? And right now, Montana, so this- number two in most polls. Reading about this game today, uh, apparently Portland State gets one charter a year, and they use that ch- they use that charter for this game. So like they're playing it up, like they're they're I think I think they're Coach Barney's pulling out all the head tricks for his guys to make them think they can win this game. They cannot win this game. Uh, yeah, um, to, to the, much to the behest of apparently apparently both coaches and basically all media members in the state of Montana. They, for whatever reason, all media members in the state of Montana seem to absolutely love Portland state and think that they are like the number two team in the league every year. Top five team. I hear (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Any of it's none of those. Brian Marceau at tubs at the club. (laughs) Emily, who you got? 
Vikings or Grizz? I would love to see an upset. Few things I love more than seeing Montana State lose, or not Montana, any Montana school, first of all, but I love seeing the Grizz lose. So I would want to say Portland State, but I have a really hard time believing that would happen. So I'll go Montana, even though it hurts me to say that. I don't know, Tom, what do you got here? If you gave me 30 points and Portland State, I'd still take Montana. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't blame you. It's that quarterback's gone, right? From Portland. The quarterback's gone, right? He was a senior Alexander, no longer there. Yes. No, no, thank goodness he's gone. Like, I don't ever, I don't ever want to see that kid again. Yeah, and Montana has Lucas Johnson, who's the South, uh, the San Diego State transfer, who's actually been really good for them. So, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm with maybe guys, forty. Give me forty, and I'm still taking Montana. <laughs> All right, final uh, final matchup this weekend, guys. Uh, Sac State taking a trip out to Colorado State. Uh, guys, Colorado State is bad. They're really, really they're, bad. They're bad. They're like, well, they got flamed these, on, bad. on game day last weekend. Like they are getting. They're bad. So how do you like Sac State's chances against an FBS opponent, Chappie? I'm picking the upset here. I'm taking Sac. I mean, okay. Colorado State lost at home to Middle Tennessee State and got worked by Middle Tennessee State. Like it was not it was not a close game. Um, my neighbors, Middle Tennessee State, just down the road in Murfreesboro here in Tennessee. And, and uh, just for some right. for some reference. Uh, before Middle Tennessee State beat Colorado State, uh, they got beat by one James Madison, forty-four to seven. So uh, they are—they're not. I would not call them great. They beat a, a, a transitioning team. Um, of course, they did beat Tennessee State last week, but Middle Tennessee is not good. Colorado State's not good. Uh, SAC is good. I'm picking the upset. SAC is better on the road, even. That's the thing. Yes. And this game is in Fort Collins. Emily, who you got? Who has Sac? Who has Sac State played? Wasn't it Utah Tech? And then they played Utah Tech. You and I, and they played you and I. Yep. I don't personally think their their two wins are super impressive. Um, it's fair. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Colorado State. <laughs> Ooh, okay, Emily taking CSU. She doesn't believe in the Hornets. Tom, who you taking? Sac State and Colorado State have met just once with Colorado State claiming a 23 to 20 home win in 2008. And I remember watching that game and Sac State had a chance to win in the last few seconds and they, they threw an interception. So I think, Uh, I think Sac State can get them. I think Sac State can get them. I think you're right. Uh, And I also am taking Sac because the Rams are bad. They're mostly, Mostly the biggest thing that SAC has going for them is that they beat Northern Iowa last week, which moved Northern Iowa to 0-3 and moved them to like what, number 11 in the polls, right? Like at at 0-3, they... Maybe ranked 15. Yeah, I mean, they're still projected probably to be a a seeded playoff team. For sure. So, (laughs) terrible. Oh, man. All right, guys. Uh, upcoming schedule, like we said today, September 24th at UC Davis, 8 p.m. ESPN Plus. Check it out. We might be doing a, might be doing a watch party on Twitter. We'll let you guys know. Uh, we'll do, be maybe doing some Twitter spaces and talk. Then uh, bye week, uh, which will mean that Friday, 
the 30th of September. That's our Wildcat fan lunch. That will be at University Broiler noon. Go hang out with some fellow. I understand there might be some folks from the Alumni Association going there as well. So go hang out with them. Good folks. Uh, then Saturday, October 8th, uh, homecoming game. Eastern Washington coming down to Ogden to try and avenge their painful loss uh, last season to the Wildcats. It's the homecoming game, like I said, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Get your tickets. Go show up. The W will be on the mountain. And uh, Or if you're like me, you got to watch it on ESPN+, Plus, which makes me sad because the homecoming game is my favorite every year. Uh, then Saturday, October 15th, a couple of road games coming up at Portland State, 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on ESPN+. Plus. Then Saturday, October 22nd at Montana State, 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, ESPN+. Plus. My understanding is quite a few Wildcat fans are taking the trip up to Bozeman, including one Emily Miller. Yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good. <laughs> It'll be very good. So that's the show, guys. Uh, email WeberStateWeekly at gmail.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. we got a blog. we got our, our grades up for last week. You want to go check that out, see how our team felt the team did on offense, defense, and special teams, go to the blog, WeberStateWeekly.com, and check it out. want to thank our panel here, Emily Miller, Chappie, and Tom Stackruck for taking some time to chat with us. Um, looking forward to the game tonight, folks. So we'll wrap it up like we always do. Weber State, Weber State. Great. 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 Go Wildcats. Oh!